It's that time again, so grab yourself a cup of joe and get ready for the cappuccino with Constable Brian. Uh, so my guest today on the cappuccino is Nicola Dove. She's a photographer. Uh, she's also a film still photographer. It's not that there's much difference between the two, but I'm sure she'll tell us there is. Uh, she's a member of the Society of Motion Picture Still Photographers. She's been a wedding photographer in a previous life. Um, she is actually a New Zealander. She's lived in the UK for 16 years. She has been a still photographer, and here's just some of her resume. Brideheads Revisited, The Other Man, In The Loop, The Inbetweeners movie, One and Two, Great Expectations, Hyde Park on the Hudson, A Long Way Down, Noble, the Ellen Partridge movie, one of my absolute favourites, Pride, Trespass Against Us, The Lady in the Van, The Death of Stalin, The Party, Murder on the Orient Express, Artemis Fowl, No Time to Die, starring some guy called Daniel Craig. Here's some of the people that she has worked with, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, Kirsten Dunst, Remy Malik, Ralph Fiennes, Dame Judi Dench, Sir Kenneth Bragner, uh, Daniel Craig, Johnny Depp, Michelle Pfeiffer, Steve Buscemi, who, like I said to you, was a firefighter in New York. Um, Bill Murray, Bill Nighy, Michael Caine, Steve Coogan, some chap called Pierce Brosnan, who also used to be 007 in a previous life, Gillian Anderson, and all of that happened because she had a scare, but we'll talk about that soon. Uh, to quote one of Nicola's, uh, shall we say, sayings from her website, and I love it, life is for stepping outside your comfort zone and backing yourself. So... That's what this wife and mum of two teens, because that's her other job that she does, or yes, you'd say, does. So I'm going to fire some quick-fire random questions at you, Nicola, and unlike last time, I've changed some of them up. So here we go. So, yeah, what's the best souvenir that you've got from a movie set that you've worked on? Oh, yeah, we often get given a um, a crew gift at the, at the end, um, mm-hmm. and... So uh, the the we we got given a, a drink bottle on the Bond film, which is the best drink bottle, I've, and we use it daily. So in terms of um, it's got a special lid on it that just doesn't leak. It's a pleasure to use. I don't know. It's weird, but the drink bottle is the one that we all fight over using, <laughs> and it's got it's got no time to die 007 on the side of it. So I'm also terrified of losing it. Yeah, I bet. And didn't you? I saw that. Um and I'm going to pronounce the name wrong, I think it was Lencia, the uh, the camera people, they did a limited edition camera as well, which you took some shots with, you and another photographer, is that right? Uh, yeah, we had, uh, that wasn't a permanent um, gift, unfortunately. No, yeah. We were, um, I was lent a Leica camera for those who are in the photography world will know that that's kind of like the, uh, um, the Aston Martin of, of cars. Right. And um so, and there's a bit of like a product placement. Bond uses a, a Leica camera, actually, as does Daniel Craig in real life. So there was, uh, and there was another visiting photographer who uses a Leica, a celebrity photographer who came on set a couple of times. The producer, Michael, is um, a very dedicated photographer who also uses a Leica. So uh, I was given a Leica to borrow for a bit of the film, and then there was an exhibition of the behind-the-scenes images um, of, of all the Leica work, which was um, touring in various places around the world, which was lovely. Nice. Um, the greatest movie or movie still or poster of all time is what, in your opinion? 
Well, um, the po posters and, and film stills are sometimes quite different, but but um, the poster that springs to mind are the train spotting posters because they were so different at the time. They really um, shifted posters away from that Hollywood sort of warm glow, looking off into the sunset kind of montage that, that Hollywood posters can uh, be a bit renowned for. And it, it used those really strong black and white posters in your face portraits um, of the characters which which was fantastic and it really um shifted the dial at that at that time now anybody who's carried a camera or a photographer's bag just as sort of a a mate helping out a mate type thing knows that after sort of a day or two the back and the shoulders and everything else are fairly destroyed um i know a few steady cam operators who have wonderful backs so i know uh, at the end of the shoot, you'd be particularly, as we'd say in New Zealand, well and truly knackered. Um, so what do you do to get yourself perked up and sort of sorted again? What's your sort of, I've finished the movie, here's a treat for me. What do you normally do? Uh, well, just being at home with my family, not getting up early in the morning is often, um, <laughs> is often treat enough. Um, but on those big films, where uh, my family are often with me, we travel together. Um, we usually go on a holiday somewhere. Um, I know after Artemis Fowl, we went off to visit, which was in the UK. Uh, and before we came back to New Zealand, we went off to visit our dear friends who were living on a, on a yacht in the Caribbean. So we took off there for a couple of weeks um, to visit them. Uh, <clears throat> another time we went uh, off to Europe in a van for... <clears throat> excuse me, for a few weeks, uh, went exploring. So yeah, we usually try to try to do some kind of fun adventure with the, with the kids. So that, that's, yeah. But yeah. along the way, I have to say along the way during you, like the bond was seven months. I do try to um, look after myself along the way so that you don't end up ragged at the end. You're inevitably tired and ready to be done, but you're not, you know, sort of unwell and, 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 um, you know, crawling. So yeah. that helps. Do, do, do you, you have like a, a holiday with with energy? Do you have like a stretching routine or something else that you do or not? Yeah, I do um, a sort of fifteen minute stretching yoga type routine every morning. Yeah. Um, and that does really help. That does really help. And you know, I put my cameras down where I can as well. If, you know, at, at two either side. Um, but the, that, that's gotten easier over the years. Perhaps, um, I don't know if there'd be time further down the track to, to talk about the, how the equipment's changed over the years. So it has got easier. Mm, and lighter, I'm guessing, as well. All right. Um, what's the last photo you paid money for? Or have you ever paid money for a photo? Ah, I, do you know, I, I haven't. I pay money for art, but not for photos. Usually we, we kind of do swaps. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. For friends, so we do come trades, but um, and I've got those photos on, on my wall along with along with artwork. So yeah, I probably buy um paintings or artwork more than others. Yeah. Mate, mate's photography, there's nothing wrong with that. All right. What's the one movie or franchise that you wish that you had been a stills photographer on? Yeah, anything by Wes Anderson, I would say. Mm, uh, just those colours and the visuals, um, you know, Grand Budapest Hotel, that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, I love his quirky, um, quirky framing and colours and the the um, costume design, production design is all really stunning. So that would be a photographer's 
dream, I would all say. Right. All right, last one for you. What? Who is one actor or actress that you haven't worked with that you would like to work with? Yeah. Uh, who would I? Meryl Streep would be amazing if yeah. I had to choose one. Yeah. Yep. Can't I can't with with a few dames not that she's a dame but she might as well be one yeah um, but but not her she would she's uh yeah she would be great to work with pretty talented all right so you've been in the middle of a well just before COVID hit you were doing bond and everything else and uh I should actually say before we continue in the podcast there's going to be no spoilers for no time to die I haven't seen it Nicola has about two weeks ago um so if you haven't seen the movie don't worry we're not going to ruin anything for you uh, or spoil anything. So, um, and just before COVID started, you went away for seven months to do No Time to Die. And No Time to Die got held back, I think, three or four times because of the COVID outbreak, which I guess uh, as part of the crew must have been a little bit worrying because you never know what's going to quite happen or if something's going to fall out of favor. After you finished No Time to Die, and you sort of were thinking about relocating to New Zealand. What did COVID look like for you? Because it was a scary time for everybody, and it's always the question I ask. What were your initial feelings and thoughts, and where did you go from there? Yeah, so we landed back in New Zealand uh, after No Time to Die towards the end of 2019, and it, um, I think by the time sort of Christmas and New Year came, uh, uh, this sort of new virus in China was just was just that. It felt like uh, from afar and it was potentially going to be another SARS kind of thing where um, there was a bit of concern, but it didn't never, you know, really reached our shores. And then uh, I was due to start a film in, uh, I think it was about early March and sort of early February here in New Zealand. So early February, I got a call to say, actually, that film's been cancelled due to COVID. And, and it was a bit like, what are you talking about? It's not even, it's not here in New Zealand. And it mm. was due to, it was funded out part fund American film funded uh, with some Japanese money and that, and the, those businesses were just shutting down around the world. And so um, the film industry here in New Zealand and, and therefore myself and, and my family, we were affected quite early on. And I remember thinking then, crikey, this could be big then if that's, if those, if it's reaching here, affecting us without, uh, you know, but the world's so interconnected now anyway. So, mm. But uh, so I guess by the time um, a month later, you know, we were um, well and truly in amongst it and um, as, as a country as well. And not long after that, shutting shop. So it was, um, yeah, it was, it was, I think for everyone, it was so unsettling, wasn't it? You just didn't, it was mm. the first time we'd really been hit by something like that, that's so out of our control. And um after the getting over the kind of shock of that and various other jobs falling over and, and then obviously the country going into lockdown, um, we uh, we pretty quickly turned it into, you know, let's just actually have some downtime. And I think we were fortunate here in New Zealand to be very well looked after uh, in terms of government support very, very quickly. I was in touch with my film friends uh, and across the world, particularly in the UK, and they were they were in a very different scenario, um, whereby they were shut down with no support and didn't nothing came through for many many months, um, and so we we felt very grateful straight off the bat. We live 
we can walk to the beach. So we, as a family, we decided to just embrace it and enjoy it. And, um, uh, and it was kind of a special time. And in a way, it then set the scene for some new developments and, and how, you know, pivoting uh, and into setting up, you know, other things. So, so it, it sort of ended up being um, what started out was very, very stressful. We both, my husband's an acupuncturist, he'd shut down his clinic. So we lost our income. Um, and, and we, what became, a lot, thanks to the government support, we could start and relax and think creatively. Um, we came up with some other ideas. So that was, that turned out to be a good thing. Yeah, it's uh, one of the best timing stories I've ever heard for sort of <laughs> leaving a country and coming to paradise. But hey, look, that's all good. So, according to your website, you are in your late 20s and you're doing a job that you don't love and you're dreaming of becoming a photographer. So, the question I'm going to ask you is, can you tell us what the job was that you didn't really love? Because everybody's had one of those jobs. And what type of photographer I'd say to you in your late 20s, okay, Nicola, you can be any photographer you want. What, what photographer would you have chosen? Yeah, so I was working at um, a, a, a newspaper as a photographer in a small town. And um, whilst I loved uh I loved being a photographer and with a regular job. Um, it was not perhaps the most exciting kind of photography work that, that you could be doing, secondhand cars and things like that. Uh, but I did appreciate the, the you know, the, the regular job scenario. But, but the trouble was, and it didn't matter what kind of job it was, I'm just, I realised um, that I was just not cut out for the nine to five. Um, and so it could have, it didn't matter what it was at, at the end of the day. Uh, I just had a hankering to uh, have, be a bit more in control of my time and my week and I could work more if I wanted or less if I wanted. Um, and so, yeah, I, I quit that job after about nine months, I think. And um uh, I, I wanted to travel. I wanted to get out and amongst it in terms of, you know, like a lot of Kiwis, uh, mm -hmm. wanted to do my OE. I had traveled actually um, after I'd left school briefly, but but um, I wanted to, you know, now I was a photographer, I wanted to go and be a documentary photographer and go to, you know, go and, and photograph the world, you know, and see what, what uh, eventuated and what was out there for me. And so that was my dream. Right, now I'm going to ask you, this is a little bit of irony for you. Um, Nicholas just said that she liked to be in control of her time and everything else. Just off the top of your head, what was the earliest on-set call that you did on No Time to Die? Uh, well, they were, they were 7am is um, pro probably, it's not that, that a call time would be early. It's actually, mm. um, and often the call times would be about that, um, between 7 and 8. Um it's more when is the finish time. Sometimes we did uh, quite a lot of night shoots at various stages throughout the film, in which case you would start at um, five in the afternoon and finish at five in the morning. Mm. Um, and as um, uh, I'm sure the police are probably familiar mm. with these different <laughs> types of hour, shift uh, yes. hours yep. works, right? Um, so, yeah, on night shoots is is interesting and you're working through the night and getting home as the sun rises and yeah. uh, do that for a few weeks and then you shift back to or, or a week or so and you might then you shift have a weekend off and shift back to days and yeah it, it, that's it, that's tiring 
and it's not quite that um, glamorous life that we're all led to believe that um, like fashion photographers have where you take all the photos and then sort of throw somebody a camera and say, and we're done here and off you wander into the sunset and everybody charges your batteries and make sure your camera and your lens is all right. You've got to do that all yourself, I'm guessing. Um, so then one day you lose all hearing in one, in one ear and you have scans for suggestions of a brain tumour, which thankfully it isn't. And after a month of lying down, I guess almost like a pre-COVID sort of cursor, I guess, you decide not to play it safe anymore. What was that month like? Because, I mean, let's be honest, um, most of us lockdown's bad enough and we're just within the walls of the house. You actually couldn't, I'm guessing, couldn't raise your head, couldn't walk about. And what do you think caused your epiphany while you were there? Your sort of Nero moment, um, not quite in the bathtub, but, you know, lying there on the couch and you're like, the heck with it, I'm not going to live safely anymore. What was what was that all about? Yeah, yeah. It, it's sort of the best and the worst of times in some ways because um, I had suddenly lost the hearing in my ear and um, they didn't quite know what it was. So that, you know, you're waiting to see if you've got a brain tumour or which thankfully, as you said, it, it wasn't. But that, those few weeks are interesting. Yeah. Um, uh, it was might have been some kind of crazy virus. It wasn't that. So it ended up being this sort of unexplained hearing loss, uh, which they can't uh, give you a reason for. But it, that's the official thing, unexplained hearing loss in one ear. And, um, and as a result of that, uh, your body has to readjust and it takes that time to you, you have vertigo, you feel nauseous. Um, and so lying down was certainly the easiest thing to place to be. Mm. And then you start and think, well, um, if something unexplained, officially unexplained can happen at any minute, what's to stop happening A in the other ear or any other health sort of thing, or any, you might cross the road and something unexplained happen, hits you. And Mm. then, you know, you just, it just really hit me that life is unpredictable and um and and i just felt really compelled to look myself in the eye and go um you know what is it you really want to do if you haven't let's just imagine you haven't got a lot of time left we don't know what is it you want to do i suddenly lost all the fear that i had about playing it safe and taking it easy and what you know maybe it'll happen one day and you know being being a documentary photographer and I just thought gosh I've got nothing to lose actually um let's get this done so it wasn't long after it was a couple of months after the 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 sudden unexplained hearing loss that I had left my hometown of Nelson um I had sold a little freelance business that I would market business that I was um running I had left my relationship and packed my bags and with the intention of eventually getting to London I went to Wellington first back to where I studied photography and um, uh, spent some time there and you know put myself out there as a editorial photographer and started working for the likes of um, The Listener and North and South and Cuisine Magazine and getting getting my confidence up and I also traveled to and from um, Asia a little bit with the idea of taking photographs there. Um, and yeah, eventually then uh, left and uh, I met my, my current husband just before we left. Uh, he tagged along and we went to London via Brazil of all places. So yeah, I threw <laughs> caution to the wind. And so it was, the, you know, and I'm still deaf in my one ear. And so I still... Uh, and reminded, you know, daily that that life is for for going for it and not not um, 
not playing it safe in many ways. Yeah. What do you think if I'd come and seen you when you were lying on your sofa and said to you, there's going to be a day that if you walk past the cafe and see Daniel Craig there, because you've worked with Daniel Craig before, not just on mm. the Bond. Uh, if you walk past the cafe and see Daniel Craig there, you'll know him well enough to tap on the window and wave and he'll probably come out and say, hi, how are you? And have a bit of a chat. What do you think you would have said to me if I'd said that to you then? Gosh, yeah, I wouldn't have, um, I wouldn't have believed you at all. It yeah. seemed, it seemed too, that would seem really too far fetched from someone from a little town in the South Island of New yeah. Zealand on the edge of the world, you know, that, that that was beyond my imagination at that point. And I've got a good imagination. I would never have thought that. Yeah, there's still some people I think who are amazed that you're a New Zealander and you've done this all this work and yet they haven't really heard of you, so to speak. So everybody I speak to is like, she's what? She's, oh, she's, so she's from England and she's come to New Zealand. I'm like, no, she's from New Zealand. She's gone to England. So, um, so you leave your hometown and you head to the UK. Um, did you have it mapped out or was it just a classical... Uh, Kiwi OE will stick everything in a backpack and we'll doss down for a couple of weeks and go from there and see what happens. Uh, the, absolutely the latter. Yeah, I had no, no real plan except I had my cameras and my backpack. Um, and on our way, my husband wanted to go and visit a um, sort of natural healing centre in Brazil. He's now an acupuncturist, so that was his journey that he was beginning then. Um, and I met a film producer there, uh, way out in the remote parts of Brazil, an English film producer who we became friends with, uh, who we got in touch with once we got to London, where we were dossing down with various friends. Um, and so eventually, um, I, you know, after about a year, this film producer introduced me to the idea of film films. I had never thought about doing that before it's quite a niche thing and for those of you that don't know a film photographer is on set taking pictures of the action as it's happening in order to then uh, publicize that film so those images are used to publicize the film and if you've seen a review of a film with images that look like they've come from the film they've come from a photographer and then there's all the behind the scenes of the the director talking to the actors and the crew and all of that kind of stuff so that had never really occurred to me um, he saw the documentary work I was doing and said, you know what, this you could you should think about this. Um, and so I got myself on short films for free over the course of about a year whilst I was supporting myself with doing the odd wedding, um, picking up odd jobs here and there like you do as a Kiwi in London. Uh, and um, uh, eventually, after about a year, as I say, of working for free on short films and, and seeing if I liked it, which I did, I loved it straight away. I loved the, the energy of a film set and that collaboration aspect that goes on. As a photographer, normally you work by yourself in many ways. So working as part of a team was really fun. Uh, and eventually I got a feature film with him uh, and his um his uh, partner who's a director and it turns out was quite a well-known avant-garde director who I went on to make a number of films with over the years uh, but that first film was a real trial by fire and uh the most nervous I've ever been every day I felt sick in the morning we had Sam Neill as cast we had Joan Allen as um number one cast and we went we traveled to Cuba, we traveled to Northern Ireland, we traveled to Dominican Republic, as well as shooting in this sort of east end of London. And it was, um, 
I loved every single day of it and and it was a real uh as I say it, it was terrifying Sally Potter is her name she has incredibly high standards for photography she'd used mm. magnum photographers prior and hadn't been happy with their work oh um, some of the best photographers in the world so I, I I learned a lot from her and it set me in really good stead for for what was to come yeah it's uh, something New Zealanders do really well we just sort of fly by the seat of our pants and do an extraordinarily great job and people go wow that's amazing um and we do it time and time again without blowing smoke too far up our own countries you know what um film like you said film photography happened for you that way just so that people don't sort of automatically think i'm going to start a career in film film still photography and i'm going to be on the next james bond movie i'm going to be you know sort of driving around in aston martins and everything else what were some of the jobs that you did when you were doing your movies uh, you're still photography for movies for free. What were some of the other jobs that you're doing in the background to keep yourself afloat? Yeah, yeah. Well, it, you're right in that it, it takes it can take a long time to uh, for film still photography to become you know the the your only source of uh, work uh, because they happen in chunks. So you know there, there'll be a film and you might be busy for six weeks, two months, three months, and then there'll be a big gap between between the next one uh, until until you've built up a lot of uh, a big network of, of people working. So in the meantime, while I was doing short films, as I say, I was doing the odd wedding over in the UK, which is something I had done a lot of in New Zealand. Uh, and that's how I bought all my gear and upgraded gear. And the good thing about weddings is you know that there's they can book it quite a while in advance you know you've got a little bit of money coming in <laughs> um but I was also I got a job in London at a picture library which was at about the time when things were turning digital so a lot of their archive which were slide film uh were needing to be scanned and digitized and captioned and uploaded and that kind of thing so I got a job paying you know patents an hour doing doing mm -hmm. that but I didn't care I was um meeting people in the industry and um uh and you know keeping an eye out for short films I was doing that for free on the weekends um uh and just sort of getting by yeah so it, it was the film industry had really grabbed me and grabbed my imagination that's something I wanted to I always thought I would do it in conjunction with something else so I'd do a film film stills and then I would go off and travel and do some documentary um, work and by then I'd also started I'd done some traveling for the likes of VSO here in New Zealand or VSA as it was called here in New Zealand volunteer services abroad and I had traveled um, with the wonderful um um, uh, Trevor Richards and been to um, Tanzania and I traveled to the Pacific Islands photographing and documenting what they did and I loved that as well so I thought there would be a, a bit of each um, and there was for a while but eventually the film industry sort of th that work grew and grew and grew and that became my main thing. I just love the fact that you've started off as a wedding photographer somewhere uh, down in Nelson or somewhere like that there is a couple that's had their wedding photo taken by you and they've told their friends oh this is the lady who's done the photos for the latest James Bond movie and you can see all their other friends sitting around there going it is not get out of here you're just telling me fork jobs um, can you tell us it's an oxymoron but can you tell us your best worst mistake ever on a on on a film set with while you were taking still photography 
Okay, there's been many, many, yeah. many, many mistakes made over the years because um, there are a lot of unwritten rules on a film set and uh, there are certainly places you shouldn't stand at certain mm. times and people you should or shouldn't speak to at certain times. And and then it, there are actors that are all different and they'll have different boundaries around how they comfortable they feel with being photographed at certain times. So it's a constant um, knife edge that you feel like you're walking on sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, so um, uh, one mistake was, well, I mean, I've made them all. I've gotten in shot. I've been, um, you know, gotten in shot on, on, a, on the stage with, an orchestra playing with Michael Caine conducting. I've been thrown off set. I, mm. As a result, I've been, um, I've, I've once did a, it, it's stupid now looking back at it, but it wasn't, um, we, I was walking backwards, photographing a couple of actors walking towards me on a big field, um, looking around, you'd think there's nothing, no, no nothing to be worried about there. Um, this was after we had finished filming and all the crew were packing up and walking off in the other direction. Um, and unbeknownst to me, there was um, a ditch in the field, which mm. was meant to be not seen because it's to keep the sheep out. It's got a, a funny name in England. I can't remember what it was called, but um I was walking backwards and, and literally fell straight into the ditch whilst photographing these actors walking towards me. And I've got their, I've got their faces. Um, I must have put, <laughs> whilst falling backwards, my camera, my finger hit the button and sent a, a volley of shots. And I've got their faces going from no to shot. <laughs> wide open stop yeah. and um as i fell backwards it wasn't far and i was just winded but it was uh, <laughs> you know just that kind of stuff your ego gets battered all the time you just can't have one on a film set yeah now i'm gonna ask you a question and you can pass on this um and no traumas whatsoever who's been the actor or the actress that's given you the best glare that sort of sort of said what the bloody hell's that still photographer mm -hmm. doing there can you say or not Oh, I probably couldn't say, but That's there have right. been a few. I yeah, there have been a few, um, uh, but not many. That's no. you know, not many. Uh, but those, there are actors that are less than comfortable with oh. having their photograph taken. And do you know, I I understand that in some ways. Um, it, it makes my job difficult, but I understand sometimes two, two things. One is that they're just human beings like us and they're often shy and they don't mm. always like, I know they've got movie cameras in their faces, but there's something slightly different about a still photographer. And if you're really famous, sometimes you end up associating photographers with the with paps because mm -hmm. in their private lives, they walk out the door and there's just photographers there. Mm -hmm. So I really get it. And we, as a still photographer on a film set, obviously we're not, we're there and we're invited, we're doing an important job. Um, but there's something unconscious in, in there that, that uh, so, you know, part of the deal, part of the job is working through that uh, with them and, earning their trust and and uh still photographers much more than just taking pictures on set uh we also have to read the room constantly <laughs> and yeah. uh and and be mindful and sensitive to to how someone is feeling and um and make choices about that you know all the time
Uh, it's like an onset barometer, I guess. Have you ever been starstruck when you're looking through your lens and gone, holy crud, that's X, Y, Z, and I'm in the middle of this set. Is, have you ever had one of those moments, where, like a surreal moment where it's sort of clicked and you're sort of like, focus, Nicola, get on with your job? Yeah, I, I have probably once briefly. I don't get so starstruck now because I've done it enough to know that they're also just people and mm-hmm. uh, with their own quirks. And um, But probably on the set of Murder on the Orient Express, which is an extraordinary set anyway, um, using, um, well, we were, we were obviously filming on the Orient Express or a replica and the sets were extraordinary. It was beautiful period. Uh, the costumes were amazing and there was sort of A-lister after A-lister yes. uh, walking in um, and, and to, be, to be photographed on that set. Um, and then one day Johnny Depp just walked in and, and that was probably a moment where I thought, oh, wow, because he is from the era of being super famous when I was a teenager, perhaps, or in 21 my drug street. That's what you're about to say, isn't it? Exactly, yeah. exactly. And, and so that was probably the moment where I thought, oh, wow, okay, this is cool. Um, and I can say that he was an absolute joy to work with and he wasn't on set for the whole film. He came and went for a little bit with his availability. He was there a couple of weeks, but he was incredibly gracious and uh, generous uh, and, and a, a really fun to work with. Um, the crew really enjoyed working with him. So th- that's nice when you meet someone and they are, th- they don't turn out to be. No, exactly. Yeah, and yeah. Just between you and me, if you've never seen it, he also does the world's best Tonto. So you need to watch The Lone Ranger. He's brilliant in it. Absolutely brilliant. Um, so you start on a job and you start attending rehearsals and walkthroughs. And is it dependent on what the client wants um, or do you just plan it out? I mean, when they say to you, we want you to come and do, let's say, let's call a movie um, Blue One Yellow. We want you to come and do the still photography for Blue One Yellow. Are you there right from day one doing the walkthrough rehearsals all the way to the end of the shoot? Or will they very often say to you, we just want you to come in for four weeks and take as many photos as you can and then we'll just go from there? Yeah, that's a good question. It, and it depends on the budget of the film or the TV series, to be mm-hmm. honest. So uh, on a film like Bond uh, or a Disney film or one of those bigger studio films, you're there from start to finish usually. So um, you're there on the first day of principal photography usually the, the the director and the crew um director and the cast have had some private rehearsal time but but once we're on set and the crew are um you know underway then the photographer will be there from start to finish and we just become part of the crew we're there every day uh which is great because sometimes schedules change and um it's a shifting it's shifting sands in terms of the schedule often uh, even though there's a huge amount of many, many months, however long we've been planning is however long they've been, uh, however long we're shooting, sorry, is however long they've been planning it as well to every last inch and every last detail. So, um, but on a sm- smaller to medium budget film, they might say, we'd like you for selected days and it will be a couple of days this week and three days that week and four days the following week, one, one day the next week. So that depends on the schedule. It depends on... Um, and, and I might look through the schedule along with the producer and, and select days that, according to the script, suggest themselves to good images. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but sometimes the thing it's uh, sometimes the smallest, most boring scenes can often create great images. You know, mm. it's not always the big explosions or big set pieces of a scene that that lend themselves to great images. It might be, um, you know, some of my post shots have come from a scene where on paper they're just walking in the, in the doorway um, mm. and, and in the hallway there's beautiful light or something happens and you just catch a very quiet moment. So... I do enjoy being on set all day, every day. That That's the best thing as a photographer to get that coverage. Because there's a good story up on the Film Stills Academy website where you've got a picture of Daniel Craig. Um, and I don't know who the other gentleman is because I haven't seen the movie yet. Um, but you're in a nightclub and you were struggling for a shot. And literally one of those moments has just happened, hasn't it? The lights just sort of struck the right way. You've taken a photo. And I think if I remember rightly, you say on the website, it's actually one of your favourite photos from the entire Bond movie. So just goes to show you, I guess. Um, do you think that CGI is ruining your job as a still photographer? Because, I mean, there's something uh, unique about getting a shot of, let's say, Daniel Craig walking down a street in London with an Aston Martin parked beside him, as opposed to Daniel Craig standing in front of a green screen and the Aston Martin's actually not there, it's just him standing there. Um, does that make your, Is that making your job more and more difficult? Well, in my experience, I haven't done a lot of, fully I, I well I can say I haven't done any films that have been fully green screen and I know they get made but it's actually quite rare mm. and um uh, that is very difficult then for a sales photographer to then then mostly you're just capturing elements against the green screen that would then be put together in post much like like the film uh but it's actually very rare and so what on a film for example like uh murder on the orient express or even the disney film artemis fowl where there is certainly an element of green screen um that will go on afterwards but it's only for selected scenes and it's only for certain parts of the scene um murder on the orient express for example directed by kenneth branagh he would, uh, and actually this is the same for the Bond film directed by um, Carrie Fukunaga um, and the DOP, um, Lena Sangreen on, on the Bond film. All of these filmmakers at the top of the game actually love shooting and getting as much as they can in camera. They don't. They also don't want to be mm. set making their film digitally afterwards uh and and have it painted in and done by you know very very clever people but um you know a lot of the bond film was actually shot on film uh on large uh, well medium format um film uh and it was a mix it was a mix of being shot on film and shot digitally but their philosophy is we shoot as uh, like Kenneth Branagh on on Moody on the Orient Express to shoot as much as we can and get it in frame there's a sort of purity to that, that a lot of filmmakers at the top of the game actually go full circle and want to, they want to um, uh, get the, everything that that brings, which is a real genuine performance from the actors who can genuinely be in an environment that is where there's actually a train and there's actually, um, you know, a, a full set build of, a, of an, you know, alternate universe and they'll actually build the set itself it doesn't actually cost less money to build the sets themselves and film it for real and only put little pieces in the background of cgi Mm. you know it's 
that's possibly even more cost effective. Uh, I'm not involved in those side of things, but that is my experience of being on set. So the answer to that is no, I'm not. Um, there's more work for still photographers now than there ever has been. Mm -hmm. I just wondered, like, if you were working on something like a Marvel movie, for instance, I mean, I know that some of their heroes' capes aren't even attached to them. They're all sort of CGI'd and afterwards. So I know that some of the still, I've seen some of the still photos from those movies and it's like, uh, it's kind of not ruined the authenticity of it, but it's not quite the same. Whereas you don't have that with a movie like Bond, because like you said, the directors have tried to keep it as authentic as possible. So um, I'm going to ask this question for your husband. Is it a pain to have your job when you go to social events and parties? Because I'm guessing, I mean, you probably, you're like every other modest Kiwi, you don't announce the fact that, hey, that's my movie poster that that kid's got up on the wall or something else like that. But is it a pain when people find out what you do for a job do you get the sort of is bill murray as cool as he looks in real life and you know is daniel craig blah 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 and everything else do you is that a bit tiresome sometimes do you like we do in the police do you have a um shall i say a, a pseudo career that gets mentioned uh, as something different so that people don't bother you right no 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 i've I found that actually well maybe it's since bond we've sort of been in various stages of lockdown or um the film hadn't come out yet and it just yeah so i found kiwis are really they don't really care that much they're not no. you know they're not people that get starstruck and um they're not people that are too bothered most of my friends don't really they go and see a film if i've worked on it but they're not they're, they're not interested in the film industry in itself or mm. um they're out in the great outdoors doing some other really cool stuff that I'm really, you know, jealous of. So, yeah. um, yeah, um, the people I know in New Zealand, my friends that I've know well are all doing amazing things that mm -hmm. there's something about the creativity and entrepreneurship of Kiwis as well. The, the thinking outside the box, all of that and have lead also lead to really, really interesting lives. So, I, I don't find that actually. Um, you might get one or two questions and then people move on. Um, so it's actually kind of nice. It's quite yeah. nice to, I'm, I'm to not definitely, definitely going to get you to come out to a school with me one day and I'm going to see if the kids can guess what you do for a job. I think they'll lose their minds just quietly. Um, so yeah. in your opinion, what makes a great still shot? Because you've done, um, and I'm going to say it, um, you've done one of probably the most iconic photos of the last 10 years with Daniel Craig having stepped out of his Aston Martin, buttoning up his suit. Um, it's probably going to be one of those photos that will be here long after you and I have gone. Um, it will be one of those sort of Sean Connery type shots. Um, so in your opinion, what makes a great still shot? You've said that sometimes it's just a fluke, but um, I'm guessing when you took that photo that you kind of knew that that was going to be something special. Yeah, it's um, what makes a great still shot. It's really got to, it's really got to encapsulate the story, and it's got to um, encapsulate the tone of the film, and really, you know, suggest a story in one frame, which is really difficult because mm. movie, you know, the 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 filmmakers get to make their 
their film out of hundreds of different shots put together and we're constantly looking for that one ultimate shot that's going to help represent that that film um and in terms of that particular image yeah I, I would I feel proud of that image I feel proud to know that uh I have in some way contributed to what is a um you know the longest running uh franchise in film history and that feels pretty amazing and I, mm. I do feel proud of that but um there are you know when you're shooting those scenes every scene that you shoot uh you feel like this maybe this might be the one maybe this you know you're always working to try and get that that single shot that encapsulates the story um and I guess that day we were shooting outside in London that day does stand out partly because we were out in the field as such we weren't in at Pinewood Studios and um you know in a closed kind of protected environment we were out uh in the streets of London um and which is actually like traveling around with the circus as well because <laughs> you know they have to cordon off parts of the streets and uh, bring in all their own extras and bring in all the, the vehicles that they have control over so that you can repeat and repeat and repeat the same shot over and over. Um, so I did know that that there was something, this was going to make a great shot. Uh, in the moment, you're just so focused on um, fine-tuning that shot as they do another take and another take. And um, you're, you're focused on not getting in the way. You're focused on not um, you know, tripping over the cameraman. Um, you know, you focus on not getting in the in the frame. There's so many other things going on as well as getting the shot that you're not kind of you're not thinking this is going to be the poster shot or this is going to be the one. Mm. Um, but having said that, on that particular day, I think we broke for lunch not long after, and I work as part of a team. I'm the only photographer on set most days, but. I work as part of the publicity team and at that stage we were definitely looking for what they call a first look image which is an image that goes out into the world it's the first released image uh, to announce that we are filming and that it's underway obviously the world knew Bond was underway there had been a few pap shots released I think you know um, in the tabloids but the first official release is a big deal um, and so once I showed my team those images, they were really excited and jumped on it pretty quickly. And um, it got shown to the, all the people that it needs to get shown to, including Daniel and the director and producers. And uh, not long after that, a few hours after shooting it, you know, that image was out in the world and, um, and it was pretty well received, which was really exciting. And it's also a relief because up until that point, you know, getting those first images out, and that's the importance of a film stills photographer on set, is that often the first thing people see from a film is a photograph mm. um, after many years of development and pre-production and then and the actual filming itself, you know, the first thing people see is a photograph. So it's really important to have a, a good photographer on set to, to make that happen. It's um, been really interesting because I've shown that photo to some of my workmates, um, a very poor photocopied resolution, sort of colour photocopied, but the reactions you get, um, like guys will look at it and they're like, oh, yeah, you know, awesome, this is going to be really cool. And uh, very often some of my other workmates will go, oh, dreamy, you know. So it's, uh, it's a real good thing because it's, it really sets the tone for it, I guess. Um, roughly off the top of your head, 
how many photos did you take during that no time to die? Because you were there for seven months, and I'm guessing you are just basically hitting that button and taking as many photos as you can because it's not like you're going to ask the crew to come back and sort of say, oh, hey, look, I didn't get quite get that shot. So just roughly off the top of your head, how many photos do you think you took for no time to die? Uh, it's many, many tens of thousands. Um, yeah, five days a week for seven months uh, and sort of shooting a thousand pictures a day maybe. Yeah. So, yeah, that adds up. That yeah. adds up very quickly. So it's many, many, many thousands of images. Um, but, you know, there are days where you don't shoot so much and days where you shoot twice as much as normal. Um, there are days where it's uh, that they might be shooting something that that uh, you you can't get good access to, or that you can't um, that it's not really interesting for a still, or that's reasonably rare on a Bond film. But <laughs> um, you know, if they're doing a lot of say underwater stuff, for example, um, on those particular days, there's only very limited access you can do. So you you know you might go off and do some catch up on some post-production and downloading and editing and, and all of the stuff that we do at the end of a day shoot as well. Um, and then there are other days like that day in London where you're just, you know, um, frantic and busy all day long because yeah. you know that these are uh, great, great moments. And yeah, it's, it, you know, that shooting weddings was great training for being on a film stills, being a film stills photographer because, you can't go and repeat moments of a wedding. You can't say, listen, guys, I missed it. Can we come back and do that again next week? <laughs> um, so, you know, it's great training. You've got to be fast. You've got to be efficient. You've got to be technically really on on your game. And you have to smile and be nice to everyone all day and and not interrupt the flow of the day. It was the best training. And, and the same thing happens on a film set. You've got to, you've got to learn to anticipate and... Um, and get on with everyone around you and nail it when you can. We always miss stuff though. Mm. I've got, you know, I've got the, definitely um, a treasure trove of images that only exist in my head from all my films, <laughs> but you've got to focus on the ones you did get. That photo of Daniel Craig in London, like you said, you know, it was a great day. It was a good shot and everything else. And I know that you'll say at the moment, maybe, but you'll never say it. Is that the crown jewel for Nicola Dove at the moment? I guess so. If you were looking at it from a point of view of, uh, you know, eyeballs on on images, that would be that would be the one, the yeah. most famous image, and, and that I've shot. Uh, yeah, that that would that would be it. Because sure. I saw that you'd even signed some photos, and they were sent to an auction somewhere in London so that people could buy them of that shot. So, yeah. I suspect that's going to be happening for a few more years, just quietly. <laughs> now, obviously, in some of the movies that you've worked on, um, obviously your latest one, um, there is pyrotechnics at play and action scenes and everything else. When you know it's a huge action shot, how do you keep your nerve and your focus on what's on? Um, I've had a US Green Beret on before who was an engineer, and he said one of the things that engineers love to do in the Army is, quote, unquote, we love to blow shit up. But as we blow shit up, we walk away from it and look really pseudo cool so that when the explosion goes off, it's like nothing's happening behind us. Um, how do you keep your nerve when all that's going on? Because, I mean, when there's Aston Martins and pyrotechnics going off and squibs and everything else, it must be very difficult. Yeah, yeah. Well, you keep your nerve by, yeah. by being 
being nervous. <laughs> it's good to be nervous and it's good to, um, it keeps you on your toes and it makes you, you know, the minute you become blasé and, um, yeah, uh, it, it, that, that's when things can start and go wrong and you just can't be that on a film set. The, a film set is run, it, it's one of the safest places you can be. If, if When it's done well, there it's not dangerous for anyone. Um, there are a lot of uh, rules and um, processes that get followed by every department. And... Um, so I've never felt that I've been in any danger ever um, on a film set. And, and, you know, you become a team player. You, you don't put yourself in danger. There are people watching, making sure that no, that crew aren't being, you know, putting themselves in danger. Um, but yeah, you, you, it's, it's really exciting when you know that the, you get this one shot at it, at something, um, whether it's an explosion or a, um, as you say, a fight scene where there's lots of squibs going off in the background and, uh, and, and you know, you don't want to be the one. Um, I'm thinking about the, the fight scene. Uh, there's a fight scene in Bond where he fights his way up a stairwell, which we spent two days shooting that one scene, one sequence. And um, each, each it's broken down into four sections of filming. Uh, and the, the actual sequence might be, I don't know, 10 minutes of filming or, or possibly even less, but it's like a choreography. There's been people rehearsing this for many, many days, um, including the cameraman, um, uh, including all the stunt teams, including the, the um, you know, the special effects teams where, where all those squibs and explosions and gunshots have to happen at the exact right moment that the actor hits their mark, that the camera is right there um, and moving and everything's moving. So it's really like a dance and you do not want to be the person that puts a foot wrong and causes that to go wrong and have to reset. To, to reset that takes many, many hours. So, you know, everyone is at uh, on high alert to make mm. sure that it's... Um, and as a photographer, you've got to play it safe enough so you don't get in someone's way, but brave enough that you still get a shot um and so it's really like a dance and a collaboration then and you uh, make sure you see rehearsals and and you don't steam in last minute but but um that it, that those are the moments where you yeah you know you do have to hold your nerve and it would be very easy to say right I'm out I'm not gonna risk it mm. um I'm not it's not so much I'm I'm worried about an explosion going off in my face or we wear protective gear. It's more, I'm much more nervous about getting in the way of the camera person or mm. the sound guy. And that's, that, that's when I get nervous about that. But yeah. Yeah. You, you, yeah. Just carry on for your favorite fortunes to brave. Yes. Um, do, you find right. it, do you find it really hard to suspend reality when you go and see a movie that you worked on? Because I'm assuming that you had a copy of the script for no time to die when they signed you up as the principal photographer. So you knew what was going to happen um, and everything else. But like I said, uh, you've only just seen it a couple of weeks ago. Do you find it really hard to suspend the, the sort of reality of movie filming and the actual story that's going on up in front of you? Because it must be quite easy to sit there and go, oh, okay, this is where we did this and then that. And oh, they haven't put that bit in. So do, is that difficult for you? It depends how good the film is. And that's a sure sign of how good it is. Uh, if I can get drawn into the story and forget that I spent, 
you know, half the day um, lying in those puddles trying to get that shot whilst the, you know, rain effects were in play, that kind of thing. Um, and I can tell you that the uh, No Time to Die did that for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, because, because I was still affected by the story and um, despite knowing exactly what was going to happen, uh, still found it incredibly effective. Um, and actually on a film like No Time to Die, during we get parts of the script Um the script is a is again like the schedule sometimes a moving mm-hmm. thing and it develops and changes as you go so we got scripts in pieces and um uh and actually only very few people on the day uh on the, on the uh knew exactly how the ending was going to be um so they kept the lid on that not because just for the, the protection of the crew in many ways, the least people that know, mm-hmm. the least chances of it getting out. So, um, so yeah, I'm still amazed that there weren't more spoilers out there, yeah. despite all the uh, the the delays for for No Time to Die. Um, the film itself still the the plot you know there was a lot of there's there's a couple of really critical plot points that that didn't really get put out there which is amazing and mm. and and really uh i think speaks to the respect that the crew and and people involved with the film have for for the film and the filmmakers and and the whole you know bond team now um last bond question for you here we go so do you silently fist pump the air when you get like your crown jewel shot with Daniel Craig in there because you've been very modest and you and I have had this discussion before but that one shot of Daniel Craig in one day got something like 200,000 likes on the James Bond Instagram account just the James Bond Instagram account so you can imagine that it's sort of tenfold elsewhere around the world is it a holy I've just pulled that off that's amazing I've just done this or is it holy shit I've got all these people and that that's my photo out there. What is it? Is it a combination of the two? Yeah, it's really satisfying. It's really satisfying to know that you did your job well and that, and that uh, you pulled it off because listen, I was pretty nervous when I, you know, walk on a bond set for the mm. first time or you in the weeks leading up knowing that you've been, asked to do this job and can you pull it off um for sure and so yeah it's there's a lot of satisfaction knowing you've done your job as well as you can and that and that you've pulled it off and you've gotten um what they need you know what the the movie needs to publicize it well and to um and and to entice people to come and watch the film and to represent that film really well Uh, so i do feel incredibly proud of that but at the same time, you know, I'm still, um, I don't know, I've still got the next job to get on with. Mm. And and even even that day when we got that shot and, and you know, the, the image has gone out, um, then I'm running to the next scene to try mm. not, you know, not miss the rehearsal for that. And you, you it, the, the, it's a fast moving situation um, being on a film set and there's always the next scene and there's always the next day. And then, so you, 
I wasn't really part of that. I'm always, you're always, I think as a photographer, you don't spend a lot of time looking back at the shots you got. Um, you're always thinking about the shots that are coming up. And so I don't spend pretty much any time thinking mm. how amazing that is, even though I, I feel really proud of it. Yeah, but I'm but, always yeah. thinking about the next film, the next scene, the next shot. Yeah, because it must be, I mean, thinking about it logically, it must be a photographer's dream. It must be both terrifying and exhilarating when I sort of say to you, you're going to take a photo today and probably three to four million people are going to see it. There's that, oh my gosh, I hope it's a good photo as well as well. That's amazing. It'll be really good and people will kind of know who I am. So Bond finishes and then anybody else would say, hey, look, I'm going to take a break. He'll take it easy and I'll kick back for a couple of months, but not Nicola Dove. She decides that she's going to come down to New Zealand and she's going to open something called the Film Stills Academy. What was your reason about that and what's the academy about, Nicola? Yeah, so thanks to the uh, lockdown time on one's side to sit and actually, uh, I guess, you know, exactly as we were just saying, when you are working and filming and then having a break and catching your breath and then getting on to the next film, you don't have that time to, to look back, um, like I said. And so that was what COVID afforded me and like many people. Um, and so I was able to stop it for long enough to go, ah, you know, um, gosh, suddenly I've been doing this now for 20 years and um, I, I did get um, messages from people going, wow, you've got the best job in the world. How do mm. I do this? How do I get started? And I just decided to um, to put into, put down on paper uh, what I knew. And um, when I stopped and realized, you know, when you did stop and take stock, you realize you've gained a lot of knowledge, very precise um, niche knowledge about something that um, that is quite hard to come to otherwise in terms of gaining that knowledge. So, uh, yeah, so I decided to launch Film Sales Academy where I help other photographers who want to break into film sales and, and add that as a niche into their um, into their career, whether they're already working films, free, free freelance photographers, or whether they're amateur photographers that know their way around a camera well. Um, but I don't teach people how to use their camera, but I teach mm -hmm. photographers how to um, navigate the world of film still. So, so that has been a year now, and it's been uh, an absolute blast and just fantastic. I, it's, it's my passion at the moment is teaching other photographers what I know, and I have students who have had some successes already, and they're from all around the world. It's the joy of, um, of this global internet situation mm -hmm. that, thank goodness, we were locked down at a time when we had this technology that could still keep us connected to the world. And so I've been able to share that knowledge with a number of photographers now around the world and mentor a number of photographers. Um, and yeah, so I've got, I've got students that have now shot on their first features that have, you know, shot on second unit studio pictures in the Caribbean or um, um, shot American productions visiting in Greece or have yeah really broken through and, and started to achieve their dreams as well which is just so satisfying so 
that's a major part of what I'm going to continue doing um, for the foreseeable future, along with shooting films here in New Zealand when um, the opportunity arises and we'll keep an eye on any international opportunities too as if it suits us. Of course you will. And um, Film Stills Academy is on Instagram and on Facebook. It's normally uh, most of the traffic comes through Instagram. Um, I'm not a photographer. Um, I'm quite emotionally bad at taking photos, but um, I, even I've listened to some of your free stuff that you do there and it's I've got some tips there as well. Now, for most of us, most of us take photos on iPhones and I'm actually going to give you a challenge, which we didn't do last time, but sometime in 2022, Nicola and I are going to catch up for morning tea because I owe her a big favour because of our production problems and I'm going to get Nicola to take a selfie of her and I no pressure, and we'll we'll see how how well she does with a selfie. Uh, no selfie sticks included. All right, then, Nicola. But what's some of the things that you could recommend for amateur photographers using their phones so that they can kind of get a halfway decent photo? Because look, let's be honest. You and I have seen some photos from phones, and they are awful. There's like smeared hands and tops of heads and everything else. So, what do you suggest? Oh yeah, that's that's. Um, there are things you can do. That's a good question, uh, and I'm looking forward to the selfie moment. I'll put some thought into that so we can uh, yeah. um, perhaps make something poster worthy. <laughs> all right, I've only got short arms, so I'm I'm stuck. So if you, I hope you're. Oh on. yeah, that's all right. Saying, right. Yeah. <laughs> um. So listen, it's about what you leave out of the frame as much as what you put in. So I would. I would suggest that you just look at the edges, you know, don't just look at the middle of your frame, look around the edges as well. And that's when you'll start to notice, oh, look, there's a pole sticking out of that person's head or mm -hmm. oh, actually I've, I've only got, um, you know, half the frame above this person's head is sky and I've only capturing the bottom of their chin, you know, or uh, so look around the edges, but it's also about the light. So you, you, you ideally, if you're photographing someone, put them in the shade Mm -hmm. so that the, the sun is actually behind them that will really help so they won't be glaring into the uh into the sun and they won't you won't have lots of horrible unflattering shadows so if you do those two things you'll be in good shape all right that's all good that's no, no drama so i've had lots of um inquiries from school kids uh people wanting to get into photography and everything else and eventually get to film still academy level what would you suggest if you're 15 and 16 mum and dad have just got you or first digital camera, your first whatever, Canon or whatever it is, um, and you want to become the next Nicola Dove, where would you suggest that you start so that eventually maybe two or three years' time you can come and study at SFA and see how you get on? What would you suggest? Yeah, I would suggest that you start much the same as I did, and it hasn't changed in, in the two decades since I started, actually, which is that you've just got to find a way to get on any small production that you can. And there are short films being made. There are film schools around that you could contact and suggest that, you know, can I come along and photograph a student production? Um, you know, if you're at school still and there's a, um, even if there's a theatre production, you know, get get acquainted with photographing performers and, and on stage even with, you know, the lighting and, um, but if there's a filmmaking group at school or at the university, um, then get amongst that and get photographing with any of their little productions. 
keep an eye on Facebook for the Facebook groups where they're looking for crew. They'll never be looking for a film sales photographer because small productions don't think to bring one along, but you can offer yourself up uh, um, anyway, uh, even if they're looking for other crew and, and ask to document what they're doing. So yeah, just, just get started that way and um, see if you like it. Mm, not wrong. Okay. So last question for you. I know that you'll have possibly some big movies way off, in the distance and COVID's making that a bit of a sort of tumble dryer of, uh, shall we say, itinerary dates. But uh, eulogy question time. Uh, Day of Reckoning's come for Nicola Dove. You know that they're going to show the photo of Daniel Craig. It's just one of those things that will just pop up at some stage, probably with that photo of you walking backwards as you're taking the picture. Uh, but for me personally, I think the best Nicola Dove photo I've seen is you standing in your chest high rubber waders with a big smile on your face. That photo is just priceless um what do you hope that people will say about Nicola Dove when she's well and truly sort of not there anymore wow um yeah that's a great question yeah I think I would hope that you know there's something about friendship um and family that um you know, I, I, I place such a high value on, on friends and family and I hope that there are, um, you know, lots of all my loved ones there um, because I put a lot of time and energy into mm -hmm. maintaining those relationships. That's really important to me. Um, so I hope they say she was a good friend. I hope they say she um, lived an adventurous life, which is what, uh, you know, that month lying on my back was I had that chance, which is I consider a real blessing um, to sort of, I, I had a chance to say, well, if it all finished in six months time, what do I want to do with that time? And, mm. and I, I do wonder if the COVID lockdowns, I know it's stressful for so many people and, and for many people who've got toddlers and having to work at home, of course they wouldn't have had this chance. It will have been a pile up, but mm -hmm. some other people may have had a chance to go, oh, hang on. Actually, you know, what what do I what am I doing? And 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 I also wonder if a lot of people have done what I did, which was to make some big changes in their life. And I am I'm still deaf in one ear. Um fortunately I'm not deaf in both. So I still consider I think about that every day. And I still think, you know, there's still a part of me that thinks it could happen at any time with the mm. other area so I'm still like you know what is it I want to do what is it I want to do next um am I resting on my laurels too much um what other risks can I can I take so I do feel like I've uh I'm constantly reminded of that and I'm I'm grateful for that um so so in answer to your question it would be yeah friends and adventure what that's what what you know friends family adventure that's what it's all about and then underneath in brackets, and she's been known to take a good snapshot too as well. Yeah, uh, maybe yeah, that too. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Thank you very much for your time, Nicola. I know um, we got you uh, again because we had some issues, so I really appreciate the fact that you've taken some time out. Uh, that is your cappuccino. Uh, where do we follow uh, Film Stills Academy, Nicola, if we want to follow it? Thank you. Yeah, it's a pleasure to talk to you again. Um, you can follow Film Stills Academy on Instagram under Film Stills Academy. Uh, there's also a Facebook page, Film Stills Academy uh, as well. And there's filmstillsacademy.com where you can come, uh, the website where you can come and see 
what we do. Uh, we, we run a free course every now and then as well. So a free introductory course on Instagram, but you can get some info about that on the on the website. And then we run the in-depth 10-week course as well, which is for those people that are really wanting to do the deep dive and to get to, to, to the nitty gritty and, and take it um, to the next level. So um, there's lots there, but on the Instagram page, you know, I do share a lot of my work and experiences on set. So that's probably the the one to go for. Yeah. And like I said, I'm not really a photographer or, um, as such, but make sure that you take advantage of what I'm, I'm going to refer to you as one of New Zealand's hidden treasures, because there's an absolute treasure trove of information there. Uh, and it's just amazing that we've got somebody like that back on our shores who's a Kiwi. So please make sure you go and check it out. Thanks for listening. But please do Constable Brian and I a favour and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on the next Coppuccino podcast. Real people, real stories.